Hey everyone, I'm your host, John Sherrod, and this is Quick Take. Welcome back, everyone, to the latest episode of Quick Take. I'm your host, John Sherrod, and uh, tonight I want to talk a little bit about iPad. You know, uh, iPad sometimes feels like the forgotten extra Apple product, and uh, we've certainly seen that the sales trajectory for iPads has not been going in the direction that Apple would like to see it go since about 2014. And um, I have a few thoughts on why that is. I don't know how deep I'll get into that tonight, but really want to focus on iPad in light of the announcements Apple made at WWDC just a few weeks ago, at the beginning of this month, in fact. Uh, first of all, as we talked about in the last episode, was it the last episode? I'm losing track of these things. Um, uh, Apple announced new iPad hardware, including some updates to the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, but also uh, to the mid-sized iPad, which is uh, had traditionally been the 9.7-inch iPad size. In fact, earlier this spring, back in March, I believe, Apple actually uh, made a low-end iPad uh, that was in the 9.7-inch size, their traditional iPad size, that retails at 329 And I think that's going to be a big boon to the iPad line because it's a great low-cost way to get a great iPad. It's not an iPad Pro, so it doesn't have pencil support and you can't use the smart keyboard. Um, but it's a great iPad uh, for that price. Uh, but then here at WWDC a few weeks ago, Apple announced a new mid-sized iPad model, the iPad Pro in 10.5 inches. And, uh, you know, it, 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 this was one of these things that had been rumored for quite a while that Apple was going to uh, be coming out with a 10.5-inch iPad. You know, maybe I don't know where those leaks came from, probably from parts suppliers, that sort of thing. That seems to be a place where uh, when they do come, leaks tend to come from. Um, but uh, regardless, uh you know, people were trying to figure out, well, that's a weird kind of odd size. It's kind of close to the size of the existing 9.7-inch iPad, so why would Apple do that? And they, I think they laid out the case pretty well. They basically said, well, we've got a great overall size. In fact, again, if you put the 9.7-inch iPad and the 10.5-inch iPad Pro side by side, they do look very similar in size, but they thinned out the bezels so that in what essentially is a very similar overall shape, you get the screen pushed out much closer to the edges so you can get a bigger screen in a smaller package, which is something that uh, has rumored to, has been heavily rumored to uh, be part of the new iPhone design as well. You know, smaller bezels tend to be happening everywhere. So, uh, so you get basically the same size, mid-size iPad that you've always had, but with a larger screen in that basic frame. And uh, in addition to that, they announced some uh, pretty big changes to iOS uh, with the upcoming iOS 11 operating system where, you know, more than ever before in a single uh, iOS release, they're focusing very heavily on iPad software and just trying to make the iPad uh, experience in iOS the best it can be and also better, maybe more boldly state the case that, hey, maybe an iPad could actually replace a traditional computer for you. And that's really what I've been trying to explore. Um, just over a week ago, I started using one of Apple's 10.5-inch iPad Pro models with a smart keyboard and Apple Pencil. And so I've been trying to explore this very concept. Is it actually possible to replace, uh, say, a laptop with an iPad? 
And it's been an interesting experience so far. And I think it's going to take a while before I have a better picture of what that looks like for my use cases. Um, but it's been interesting. So I'll talk a little bit about that. And I actually wrote a piece. Um, I did the word count. I tossed it into pages and looked at the word count. And it was exactly 2,000 words. So if you're up for kind of a longer form blog post, um, you can read uh, my written thoughts on using the iPad Pro so far and whether or not it could actually replace um, an iPad for you. And also a unique thing about this episode is that I'm actually attempting to record this episode of Quick Take uh, on the iPad. So if you listen later and you hear the music I've added in, that's going to be done in GarageBand on my Mac, but I'm actually recording the audio for this, if all goes well, we'll see, uh, in GarageBand on the iPad Pro. And we'll see how that works out and how it goes. And I'm actually, for a mic uh, this evening, I'm just using um, you know Apple's wired EarPod headphones with the built-in mic for that. Um, and it's not, you know, this is not professional audio recording radio studio audio by any stretch. Um, but, uh, you know, pretty good little microphone given what it is. I think that's what we have to keep in mind. Um, but let's talk a little history of the iPad. You know, this is 2017 when I'm recording this. Steve Jobs um, debuted the iPad in 2010, and my goodness, it's it's getting harder and harder to think back to an Apple with Steve Jobs, um, just because of the amount of time that we've seen in between then and all that's happened in the world and with Apple specifically. Uh, we're so used now to seeing, um, rather than, you know, in the Steve Jobs era when Steve would come on stage, it was it was the Steve Jobs show, and he was the main presenter at these things, and since his passing um, in the Tim Cook era, you know, Tim Cook is there to book in the presentation and highlight some things, but it's really kind of a, a roadshow of Apple vice presidents and senior vice presidents uh, who are doing the presentation. So we've gotten to know people like Craig, Feder- Craig Federighi, uh, for example, Eddie Q, more uh, different people like that um, through these Apple events. So, you know, you're thinking back to 2010 when Steve Jobs camp came out on stage He'd been ill, and he was very thin, um, and he sat in that, that black chair and showed off the iPad for the first time. And uh, this was a product that had been heavily rumored. It's kind of like when the iPhone first came out. You know, for a long time, you know, the six months leading up to Apple's iPhone announcement, there was tons of chatter. It was one of those things where you knew that there was enough smoke that there had to be a fire. And sure enough, in January 2007, uh, Apple unveiled the iPhone, but I don't think anything could prepare us for exactly what the iPhone was. Um, it's going to be one of those things where when you tell your kids about it, it's going to be hard to impress upon them exactly how radical this product, talking about the iPhone in this case, transformed the market. And now it's totally changed the world and how we interact with personal computing. And I think in 2010, when Apple introduced the iPad, they had high hopes. I think Steve particularly had high hopes that it might be another product like that. And so far, it hasn't quite been that story. And honestly, I'm not sure that that anything else that Apple ever does, no matter how successful they are, is ever going to match that. I feel like the iPhone is just one of those few inventions in human history you can can kind of stand up and show this changed things in a massive way. This radically changed our paradigm for how we interact with the world in, in the realm of not only personal technology, but in so many, so many other ways that our lives have been changed since then. Um, but, um, you know, when Steve introduced that iPad, uh, it was similar to the iPhone in the sense that there had been a lot of rumor and speculation leading up to that event that Apple was coming out. 
with a tablet of some sort. And um, again, it was, you know, a tablet was nothing new. I mean, tablets had been done before in a sense. You know, Microsoft had famously had a lot of uh, interest in the tablets and they had, you know, the stylus-based pressure sensitivity screen. And sometimes you'd see in the medical profession in particular or in sales, people would come around with these, you know, kind of clunky Windows tablets with, you know, tiny Excel spreadsheet rows that they were trying to work with with a stylus because it was designed for a mouse and, and that sort of thing. And so when Apple introduced the iPad, it was, um, well, maybe not unprecedented, it was certainly a brand new take on that concept because you weren't adapting a desktop operating system uh, for a touch-based device like the iPad. You were, Apple was taking a mobile operating system, an operating system designed for the iPhone, and putting it on a 9.7-inch screen. And uh, that was pretty revolutionary. And I do remember, uh, because I was working at Apple Retail at the time, that you know, there were a lot of customers who, when you explained what an iPad was, their first reaction was, oh, so it's just a big iPhone? And it was one of those things you really had to see and experience to understand um, what an iOS device with that size screen could actually do for you. But I remember um, when that day came, a friend of mine who, who worked at Apple with me uh, came over to my house. And in those days, I don't think... Uh, in in that year, Apple was doing a live stream of the keynote. I could be wrong, but I feel like that was maybe a year where um, Leo Laporte's This Week in Tech or Twit's network was live streaming it from inside the audience, I'm sure in contradiction to Apple's wishes. And of course, we I think we probably had in another tab um, one or more of the live blogs because th- this is still a thing. You still have people going into these keynote events and typing out exactly what's said word for word because a lot of people follow it that way, even though it's streamed live. But in those days, of course, that was definitely how you kept up with what was going on. And uh, the, my friend and I were super excited about it, and I wound up getting one of those first-generation iPads that seemed gigantically huge by today's standards. And I think there was a lot of enthusiasm. I think you know it, the iPhone was still fresh, and it was clear it was becoming a massive hit that I think it was easy for people to turn around and say, well, iPad is also going to be another hit in that same way. And um, you had uh, Apple and Steve Jobs in particular talking about iPad as if it were the future of computing. Uh, And you had Steve use that uh, now cliched metaphor of the car and the truck where, you know, maybe the iPad becomes the personal computing equivalent of the family sedan you know, the thing that you spend your most time in, most time with from a day-to-day experience, and maybe the Mac or the Windows PC becomes more like the family pickup truck that maybe you don't drive every day, but there are those times where you have to do some heavy lifting, take a big load of trash down to the dump, and you need some, you can't do that in your family sedan. You need something that's built for more heavy-duty work. And that was kind of the distinction that was drawn, and I think that made a lot of sense to a lot of people. And we also saw people buying iPads and giving them to their kids or buying them and giving them to elderly relatives who maybe had never used a computer. And this was something that they could get their head around and understand. And iPad sales grew and grew and grew and grew. And then they peaked around 2014, I believe, and have sort of been kind of trending down. The trend line has been down kind of since that time. And there's probably a lot of reasons why that is. Um, I think partially it's the fact that Everyone can immediately understand what the iPhone brings to the table. You know, the the iPhone has become, in many ways, our main personal computing device. Maybe it's that family sedan in many ways. And in fact, in a lot of parts of the world, 
uh, in the third world in particular, where people don't have as much income, uh, a lot of people will buy a smartphone of some sort and that be their only computing device. And so it's very essential. And it's just become the most essential device uh, for, for all of us. And I think a lot of people, on the other hand, can understand the role in their lives of a personal computer, like a Mac or a Windows PC, uh, largely because uh, we've got uh, people that have been using, I mean, my generation, I was born in the early 80s, so my generation uh, grew up with a mouse and a keyboard and a computer uh, pretty much through our entire lives. And so my generation and the generations immediately preceding are very familiar with using a personal computer. That, there's, that muscle memory is built in. We know what that is and what it means. And so we know we need a phone, and we know we need a personal computer of some sort, or at least we think we do. And so the iPad becomes that middle device, and it, it's maybe harder to find uh, that place for it in your life. I think another thing that maybe has contributed to the decline of iPad sales is that uh, in the year since the iPad first debuted, iPhone screens have gotten a lot larger. Uh, you know, the original iPhone screen was three and a half inches, and that remained the same until the iPhone 5, which came out in, goodness, 2011 or 2012, where it first moved to a four-inch screen. And then with the iPhone 6, three years ago, coincidentally, the time that the iPhone, or the iPad rather, began its uh, sales trajectory away from where Apple probably wants to see it. Uh, of course, it's away from Apple. They want to see that go up and up and up. But anyway, uh, when the iPhone 6 came out, uh, we saw the iPhone dramatically leap in size to the 4.7-inch iPhone, which has kind of become the standard iPhone. And then the larger iPhone Plus, with the much larger screen than that, at what, five and a half inches. And a lot of people are opting for that Plus, and Apple's selling a lot of them because they're putting the best cameras in the Plus model, in large part because they can put more stuff in a larger form factor. Um, and so you've seen phones get larger and larger. And I think in some people's minds, in many people's minds, uh, that probably leaves less room in their life for an iPad because their phone almost becomes a tablet itself. Uh, so I think that's part of the story as well. Um, and then I think another piece of the puzzle, so, so in other words, it's not one thing. I think there's a lot of things that have contributed to the sales decline of the iPad. And, um, you know, and I don't want to paint it like it's a beleaguered product or anything. It only looks like a small product in comparison to Apple's other products because the iPhone is such a gigantic chunk of Apple's revenue that it makes everything else seem small when, in fact, it would be a large business if you spun it out into its own thing. Um, but I think another thing that has contributed to the sales trend going away from the direction Apple wants to see is that um, Apple, I just don't know that Apple has done a great job of telling the iPad story. Um, you know, they're a company that has a lot of different products, and it's got to be difficult um, for any company of any size to spread that focus evenly across all its major product categories. And so it seems like, you know, some years will get more attention to the Mac and some years, well, and, and the iPhone, of course, gets always prime attention because it is the biggest revenue chunk of Apple. And then some years will get more attention paid to the iPad. And, you know, I think Apple definitely has continued the iPad story in terms of making it more... Uh, attractive as a desktop replacement when they came out with the larger 12.9-inch iPad because with that larger screen and then particularly paired with the Apple Pencil, uh, you can do some really cool things um, from a digital artist standpoint. So for digital artists, uh, that immediately became a, a fantastic device. But, of course, digital artists are kind of a niche product category. 
Uh, most of us don't have the skills necessary for that. Um, and uh, so that was an important step in the journey. I think, and only time will tell, but I think Apple has uh, put a couple of much more important bricks in place this year with refreshing the iPad Pro line, um, both the, the midsize and the large iPad, uh, as well as the new iOS 11 features that were really heavily focused. In fact, uh, I think I said this on the last podcast, when you go to their website, it says something like, you know, um, a giant step for iPhone, a revolutionary leap for iPad or something like that, talking about iOS 11. So uh, iOS 11 is not out officially until this fall. Of course, uh, there are beta versions of it out there. If you're um, uh, an Apple developer, have an Apple developer account, uh, you can get developer betas that way. You have to pay money to become a member of that account. Or they do also have a free public beta program. Uh, So if you want to uh, be someone who is an earlier tester of Apple software before it's released to the public, you can do that. However, you always have to be warned that if you're going to put beta software on uh, one of your devices, just know that beta software is often buggy because it's a work in progress. It is not a completed process by any stretch of the imagination. And so just be aware of that. There's going to be more crashes. There may be unusual bugs you don't expect. Um, depending on the situation, you know, it, you might even find bugs that really cripple your workflow. I don't think that's the case for the iPad. I haven't heard of anything like that with the iOS 11 beta for iPad. But you just have to have that warning before you dive into that. So iOS 11 isn't going to be out till this fall. But you can actually go into your local Apple store, go to Apple Online or to an Apple retailer, and purchase the new 10.5 and 12.9-inch iPads. Uh, They do not have iOS 11 yet, of course, because it's not out, but they're still there. And, um, you know, you can at least, uh, even with the version of iOS that comes with those iPads, appreciate the faster A10X processor that comes in the iPad Pro, uh, and also uh, the new ProMotion display. And and ProMotion is is kind of a marketing term that, that Apple has to help explain what this technology is, but you know it's basically um, a higher refresh rate screen. They talked about the fact that it's 120 hertz refresh rate screen, um, and that does a couple things for you. That is uh, better for video playback, um, but it also means less latency when you're using the Apple Pencil and you're drawing. So if you have a, a, a low latency screen and you're using a stylus with it, then you're going to draw on that screen, and it's and you're going to have this noticeable. Uh, even if you're not conscious of it, it's just you're, you're aware of the fact that when you draw, there's a delay between what you draw and when it actually shows up on the screen. And uh, Apple's new ProMotion displays don't completely solve that problem, but the delay is so much less that for many, if not most people, it's going to be completely imperceptible, uh, or at least so close to that, as, as Jeremy uh, Clarkson would say, near, as, near enough as makes no difference. And uh, so that's a big step forward. But the ProMotion display is also a variable refresh rate screen. So if you're just reading text on a web page or reading a book, you don't need to have a high refresh rate screen. And so the iPad Pro can automatically lower the refresh rate, which saves battery. So that's the big takeaway. It, it increases the refresh rate for performance reasons when it needs to, and it decreases the refresh rate to emphasize battery life when you don't need the high performance. Um, and... So again, you you know you can certainly get the full sense of what this can do if you're using the Apple Pencil. Go to your Apple Store and try it out. 
Um, or also even just the first, the first place I noticed it was even just going into the Apple store and taking your finger and just swiping from, from home screen to home screen. And it's hard to explain. You really have to see it for yourself, but there's just this fluidity of the motion, um, that makes it just feel more natural. Of course you're, you're, you know, if you think about it, you're touching a lifeless glass screen, um, and it's only the byproduct of how our minds work that it feels like we're interacting with something real. But that sensation is much more apparent with the new iPad Pro with the ProMotion display. So I definitely encourage you to check it out um, if you can. If you haven't checked it out yet, definitely, definitely worth a try. So as I said, I've been kind of uh, I've been testing out uh, the 10 and a half inch iPad Pro, and I love it. It's a fantastic device. Um, but the real question is, can it replace a computer, a traditional Mac or PC? And there's not an easy answer to that. Um, for some of you, you're going to find that you absolutely can. And for others, absolutely not. And it really kind of depends on what you're working on. One big barrier to replacing a traditional computer with an iPad is software. Is the software that you rely upon available for iPad? And it's kind of one of those cases that's always been a differentiator between, a, between the Mac and the PC in a sense. The apps available for the Mac have always been rich and fantastic um, but there had always been just way more apps available for Windows because of its market dominance. And in particular, a lot of industry-specific apps, things that were maybe written for in-house for organizations or were written for you know, a specific vertical industry, maybe the medical field or manufacturing or something like that. Um, and so that's going to be the question here as well. Is the app that you need to do your job available for iPad? If the answer is yes, great. Then it's then you can kind of move on in the flowchart as you're continuing to decide whether it's right for you. If it's not, that's probably going to be a full stop, um, and you might be in a situation where you can use the iPad for some parts of your job function, but you're still going to have to have a traditional computer for those specific apps. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I think the iPad in particular falls into this kind of weird valley between the iPhone and the Mac because. There's a ton of great software for professional use for the Mac, and there's a ton of fantastic software. There's thousands and thousands of titles available in the iOS app store for iPhone, and there's fewer of those for iPad because if a developer's going to target one platform, it's going to be the iPhone because of just the sheer number of devices that are out there. Um, and you know, traditional developers who have been doing traditional desktop-based software work maybe are going to continue targeting the Mac and Windows, because that's what they've always done, and that's what they're used to, and they've got a customer base in that field. And the iPad almost kind of falls in the middle there. And so Apple has made it where developers can release what's called a universal binary of their, of their app, which means that they can submit one app to the App Store, and it will download onto your iPhone or your iPad, and it's going to detect what kind of device it's on and uh, reformat the data to best fit that kind of screen. Uh, but not all developers choose to do that. There's some additional development costs uh, involved in making that happen in terms of you know, resources and time and, and expertise and that sort of thing. Um, and so there's a lot of universal binaries out there, um, but there's a lot of apps that are only for the iPhone. And you can run iPhone apps on an iPad, but it blows them up, it kind of stretches them up, and, it, and it, so it looks like a cheesy experience and it doesn't... You know, they don't they don't rotate in the landscape view, which is something that the iPad and iPad apps support. So, um, you know, if you go into the iPad in the App Store for the iPad and you search for an app, by default, it's only going to show you apps that are 
written specifically for iPad or that are universal binaries and are made for the iPad screen. Um, and you can go in and choose to change the filter to let you see iPhone apps instead, which again, you can run on there. Um, you know, so that's one kind of barrier to more apps being developed for iPad. Now, I think you're going to definitely find that most of your big name apps are available for both iPhone and for iPad. Uh, so, for example, social networking apps like Twitter and Facebook, uh, productivity apps like Apple's uh, iWork Suite, which I think is best in class, but also Microsoft Office, which is very good on iOS as well. Uh, they've got those specifically for um you know, written to take advantage of the iPad. And of course they tie in with office 365, which a lot of both individuals, uh, but also organizations of all sizes use today. Um, so, uh, another thing too is, is the web, um, you know, web developers often, if not most of the time, aren't specifically thinking of the iPad when they write websites. So, you know, the best web developers, um, make their websites in a way that is mobile friendly or variable depending on what kind of device is viewing them. And so, you know, you'll go to the, the web page on the desktop and you'll get a, a very desktop oriented experience or you'll visit the page on your iPhone and you'll get a, a web page view that uh, still looks like the, the desktop app, but is just it just automatically knows you're on an iPhone and formats it that way. Um, I'm not sure there's been a ton of work out there to really take the iPad into consideration uh, in there. Um, and so that's something that's got to change. And a lot of times, especially websites, you know, you, you guys have all seen this, there's a website you go to in Safari on your iPhone and it brings up the mobile version and it's a really cheesy mobile experience and isn't, um, it just looks terrible. Uh, just not a lot of skill or time or care went into developing it. And unfortunately, a lot of times when you visit those kind of websites in Safari for iPad, uh, it takes you to that same kind of crummy uh, mobile version. And you can switch over to desktop view, but when you do that, it may look great or it may be that the you know, the links that you would touch on are, are really too small because, again, they're designed for uh, you know, an actual mouse pointer instead of a human finger. And so I think that's another area where it's just this kind of valley that the iPad falls in between the desktop experience and uh, the iPhone where... I would just love to see more attention be paid to building websites for iPad specifically, or at least building them in a way that lets them, you know, re, you know, resize accordingly for the iPad screen. And I do think we'll see more of that over time, but we're just not quite there yet. So those are a couple of potential barriers that I see in using an iPad to replace a desktop computer. And, um, you know, it's funny, um, just last night, uh, Joshua Topolsky um, posted a series of tweets. And Joshua Topolsky is a longtime tech journalist. He was with, um, I believe, Engadget and then was with The Verge for a while, was I think one of the founding members of that website. And, um, and now he's, I'm not even sure exactly what organization he's with now, but he put out a series of tweets basically very bluntly saying, no, this is, you know, the iPad can't replace um, a, a, a computer. You know, and I would encourage you to maybe go check out his Twitter feed, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, which you can find at johnsherrod.net. Um, but you know, he was very blunt, and what he said was uh, not necessarily unfair. But I think a lot of times we have blinders on, where if if something isn't going to work well for our workflow, then we dismiss it and say it's not going to work well for everybody. 
And the reality is that people use computers differently. Um, the needs of, uh, you know, again, your uh, maybe that home-based elderly relative or your children is going to vary wildly from somebody who is the editor for a major online publication. And so, and there's all sorts of things in the middle between those extremes uh, out there. Um, I will say, if you're going to think about replacing your traditional computer with an iPad, um, I highly recommend having some sort of physical keyboard for it. We can talk about whether or not um, you know the touchscreen is a better experience than using a mouse, but I think a physical keyboard is an absolute necessity. I've certainly found that to be the case. Um, we've all gotten adept at using touchscreen devices, but I, you know, and it's one of those things. That I kind of talked to, I talked about this on the the blog a little bit. That there's this narrative out there that says that kids these days are having their first computer experiences on a touchscreen device, and so you know, comma, and in the future, those are going to be the kind of devices that they use essentially exclusively. Now, I think there's no question that the first part of that clause is definitely true. Kids these days have their first computing experiences with a touchscreen device. I have four kids under seven, and they've spent very little time in their short lives so far using a, a mouse and keyboard and a desktop, you know, traditional desktop computer, but they've all spent lots of times using an iPad or borrowing mine or my wife's iPhone, or even using the Apple TV Siri remote with the, you know, kind of touch trackpad thing. Um, and these are just different experiences than being at a computer and using uh, a mouse and a keyboard. Uh, so I don't know. This is one of those things where the second half of the clause, though, where it says, you know, where the narrative goes that in the future, when these kids grow up, they're going to use exclusively or gravitate, you know, toward, you know, touchscreen devices. And I don't know, maybe that's true, but part of me thinks that there's just something intuitive, you know, intrinsically special about a physical keyboard that just makes, uh, you know, getting work done a lot faster. And I don't know, we're going to find out. We'll see what that looks like. We'll see if uh, when my kids grow up, they're still using a physical keyboard. But as of right now, in 2017, for my generation and the ones that came before who were using computing devices, I feel like a physical keyboard is a must. And I've been testing out Apple's smart keyboard. And uh, that's kind of an evolution of the folding iPad uh, cover that Apple has had for, for quite a while now, where it's basically, it magnetizes onto the side, and it kind of folds over, and you can kind of move, you know, uh, fold it into some origami shape so that you can make it stand up for video playback, or you can, um, you know, make it uh, kind of lie back with the keyboard open for keyboard use. Um, or you can close it, and it provides a nice cover to protect the, the glass screen of the iPad. Um, and it uses a, a connector, a very small connector. If you look at the side of the iPad, you can see this connector with these small dots. Um, and when it magnetizes onto the side, that connector is what actually provides power from the iPad to the keyboard. So it's not Bluetooth. It's actually a physical connection that's made. Um, and... Uh, but I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for it because, you know, the keyboard is so small. There's very little key travel. I don't know exactly what the material is it's made of, but it's it's some kind of um, sort of textured rubber kind of feel to the to the keycaps. Uh, and also because I'm using the ten and a half inch iPad, it's kind of a small keyboard. Um, but I have honestly been blown away by how good this keyboard is, and it's kind of funny because. Uh, in uh, Joshua Topolsky's Twitter rant, he specifically decried the keyboard and used a pretty nasty word uh, to describe 
yeah, I think he used it atrocious, effing atrocious, I think he said. Um, and uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just completely in the opposite direction on that. I think it's a fantastic keyboard. I love, love, love it. And I actually really enjoy Apple's uh, Bluetooth Magic keyboard also. Um, but man, the, the keyboard on this iPad, we'll see if it's just the newness factor, but so far, right now, I feel like it is my favorite Apple keyboard I have ever used. I'm not kidding. Uh, I don't know what it is exactly, but um, it, it, it's, the texture on the keys feels good, and the key travel just feels really good when you press the keys down. So, you know, try one of these out and see what you think for yourself if you're thinking about moving to an iPad or moving more heavily toward an iPad. But, man, I, uh, I really, really like this keyboard. Um, you know, so I think this kind of takes us back to where does the iPad fit, um, you know, for me, at the end of the day, I don't feel like it could completely replace a Mac in my life. Um, you know, and my newest uh, Mac at home is actually a, a 2008 Mac Pro, so no spring chicken, and it doesn't even run uh, Sierra. It actually runs El Capitan. But I still feel like I need a Mac with lots of hard drive space, uh, if nothing else, to provide, uh, you know, physical copies, physical backups, actual copies that I have in my possession of all my photos and movie files and my music collection and, uh, you know, other types of files. And I can store all that right there. And, you know, because I am so just wired and built for a traditional mouse and keyboard, uh, I can do that. I, I think I said in my blog that while I'm really, really loving using this iPad, because I am, and I don't know if it's, if it's, something about the the nature of the iPad operating system itself or if it's just me being so used to a traditional computer I feel like it's probably a little bit of both but sometimes when I'm using the iPad because I'm so used to using a traditional computer that it can feel like when you're at the beach and you're wading through the water like knee deep and you're trying to move as fast as you can and it, and, and, and you just can't move very fast. And then when I go back to the Mac, it kind of feels like you've stepped out onto the beach into that hard packed beach sand right near the ocean where you can run at full speed, uh, feeling like nothing is slowing you down. And, uh, so I do think that the, that a piece of that is that iOS, even if you were to throw the iOS 11 beta on or, or when it comes out this fall, is still not quite, uh, in a place where, you know, it can do everything that you're used to doing on a Mac. But also, I think it's it's such an... It, I'm so, you know, from a very young age, just so used to using a mouse that I think that is also a big part of the issue. So I kind of tongue-in-cheek at the beginning of my blog post threw up a quote from Star Trek VI, uh, Chancellor Gorkon saying something to the effect of, if there's going to be a brave new world, it's our generation that's going to have the hardest time living in it. And, and so in that sense, I guess I'm paying lip service to the narrative that says the next generation is going to be way more adept at using this than mine was because of just what type of computing environment we grow up in. Um, you know, and then in addition to the app support and all the things that I discussed previously, um, and I also wonder how much of me feeling like I need to have a computer with lots of hard drive storage so that I can back up files and things like that is just a function of how it's always been done versus where we're going with this whole cloud uh, future. Because if you um, if you think about the iPad, it's clearly a forward thinking product. This is where Apple. This is Apple saying 
this is where we think we're skating to where we think the puck is going to use the old Wayne Gretzky quote that's been uh, well-worn in computing analogies. But, um, you know, it's a device that has a headphone jack and then a single lightning port. So you can't plug USB devices into it, uh, which means you can't plug a big hard drive into an iPad um, or, or a USB flash drive. Um, it's really a device built for cloud storage. And, of course, Apple has their own cloud storage solution, and they're happy to have you pay them for additional storage. And, honestly, I won't go into that here, but I do recommend that you do that um, for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a product very geared toward a future that's more cloud storage focused. And it may be that we all get used to that. Um, I pay uh, for iCloud, additional iCloud storage, Primarily because the, the data I worry about the most is my photo library. And so I want that all to be backed up to iCloud and also to be accessible to all my devices so I can pull up any picture. I've got like 30,000 photos um, taken over a span of, of uh, you know, 15 years or so since I got my first digital camera and, uh, and, some, and, and, and also a whole bunch of scans of, of prints from before that. And... Uh, uh, and so I pay for iCloud if for no other reason than, or for additional space in iCloud, if for no other reason than I want to have that backed up and available everywhere. But I also still feel like I need to have my own personal copy. And who knows, maybe over time we just trust cloud services more. And so we don't feel the need to have that. But right now I feel like I need to have a Mac. And of course I need my iPhone. And so again, the iPad kind of becomes that middle device. Uh, where I do think it could maybe be a replacement uh, for a traditional computer for me would be that I'm not sure that, at least in my personal life, I ever need a laptop again. I feel like there's a place for that big desktop-based Mac, whether it's a Mac Pro or an iMac or a Mac Mini or something. Uh, and I need my iPhone, but but probably an iPad would be a, a suitable replacement in my personal life, at least for me, for having that mobile computer that would traditionally have been filled by a laptop. And I definitely... The more time I've spent with this particular iPad Pro, the more I think that I could definitely see it replacing a laptop for me in that capacity. Um, and who knows? That may, you know, it may be that a lot of people at work find that that winds up being kind of the scenario they find themselves in too. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of speculating at this point and just kind of, and just trying to get my brain around how an iOS device, an iPad in 2017, could serve that purpose that a laptop would in particular. So it may be that. You know, people have a computer on their desk for certain specific functions, but they travel to meetings or on vacation in an airplane uh, or to, you know, business travel in an airplane uh, with an iPad instead of a laptop because it is such a great portable device. And there is something engaging and very um, intimate about just reaching up and touching the screen. Uh, Now, on the other hand, I, I, that's another area where I kind of have some mixed feelings and you can tell this is all kind of off the cuff. So bear with me, but, um, you know, for many, many years, people have been pushing Apple to put a touchscreen on the Mac and Apple has kind of always said, no, we just don't think that's the right interaction model for the Mac for a variety of reasons. One of which is that it's very uncomfortable to reach your hand up and, and kind of wave things around, you know, and touch the screen that way. I mean, I know it sounds silly or lazy, but, you're working against gravity when you do that. Whereas when you lay your hand on a desk and you just have your fingers gripping a mouse, you're working with gravity. And that does make a big difference, especially if you're sitting at a computer all day long. And, uh, as I've been using this iPad pro a ton, um, you know, that's an issue as well. Um, that, you, you know, if you, if you have it in 
sort of laptop configuration, if you will, where you've got the smart keyboard and you've got the keyboard out and the screen's kind of tilted back. You know, um, I've tried to be as keyboard focused as I can be, use as many keyboard shortcuts as I can, because it does get tiring to reach up and touch the screen and interact with it that way. And so that's a factor in this as well. And I will say that's one of my favorite things about the smart keyboard is that there are a ton of keyboard shortcuts available. It's got the typical keys you'd see on the Mac, most of them anyway, including two command keys and two option keys, and you've got shift and control as well. So a lot of the keyboard shortcuts you're used to using on the Mac work just perfectly here on the iPad with the smart keyboard or with any kind of uh, maybe Bluetooth keyboard that's built for the iPad, etc., and in fact, one of my favorite, favorite things is that you go into any app, and any app can support this feature. It just depends on whether the developers have built it in. But most of the apps that I've tried this with, it does work. You go into any app on the iPad with a smart keyboard attached, and you press and hold down the command key for a couple seconds. And this you know, kind of gray floating palette appears and shows you all the keyboard shortcuts that you can use in that app. And that is a tremendous help. Um, it's funny, though. Sometimes some things that I would think would be obvious... Uh, keyboard shortcuts just don't even seem to appear there as well, or maybe they are, but they're not listed in the list of things that the developer shows you. But regardless, it's still been really helpful to use a lot of keyboard shortcuts in place of having to reach up and do things on the screen. Last thing I'll talk about here, we'll kind of circle back to uh, iOS 11 and what that's going to bring. Of course, it's going to bring a more Mac-like dock, so you can put more app icons in the iPad dock. And that's really helpful because you can swipe up from the bottom of the screen now in iOS 11 to bring the dock back. So it's really easy to switch back and forth. Oh, also for, again, keyboard shortcuts, command tab works. Uh, and that comes in handy for switching between apps. Um, you've got more enhanced split screen support. So split screen was added not too long ago to iPad, which would allow you to have two apps on the screen at one time. Um, you'll even, you know, there's a way with the popover window where you can even have up to three apps on the screen at one time. Uh, with the 12.9-inch iPad, at least. I don't think that you can do that with the 10.5. And, um, and then we've got the new Files app coming in iOS 11 where you can essentially have the Finder uh, almost on the iPad, only they don't call it the Finder, they call it Files. But you can see all the files that live on your iPad's internal storage, plus also it will connect in to uh, various cloud services you use, so certainly iCloud Drive, but also Microsoft OneDrive, Adobe Creative Cloud, Dropbox. These were all some things they showed in the demo uh, at uh, WWDC, so hopefully that means they've actually talked about this, these features with these developers and, and th that support will be there when iOS 11 ships. Um, but that's really awesome. That's another thing that was maybe holding people back from thinking of using an iPad in that way. Um, uh, that's going to be really nice to, to have that there for sure. So, you know, some of these things, and, and there are several things also. Oh, also, um, gosh, big one, drag and drop support. The ability to use split screen and pull up or use a popover window and, and be able to tap and hold down on data in one app and drag it to another, whether it's a photo or uh, a URL or uh, a block of text. Uh, that's going to be a really nice feature. And one of the things they showed uh, during the keynote, Craig Federighi did the demo and showed that uh, when you're doing drag and drop, you can tap and hold down, and it kind of lifts off the page to indicate that it's able to be dragged. But once you do that, before you start dragging, you can tap on other objects, and, and it kind of adds them to what you have selected to drag, and you can drag all of them together. So it's kind of like on a Mac. If you click on a file and hold down Command and click on other files, you can then drag and drop them all together. Well, you'll be able to do this that way 
uh, with multi-touch on the iPad. And so, you know, I, I, the iPad is probably still not there for a lot of users to be a viable replacement for a traditional Mac or PC, um, but it's getting there. And Apple with iOS 11 and the new iPad Pro hardware is definitely has definitely taken some big steps in that direction. And I think it's good to see Apple pushing that. Hopefully they continue telling the iPad story well. Um, and I haven't even talked about pencil. I think I'll save that for another time. Um, but um, it's, it's becoming more and more, at least you can see light into the tunnel as far as a future where an iPad can truly be a replacement for a traditional Mac or PC. And for a lot of uses, it's already there. Again, I definitely think we're in a place where you might have a traditional Mac and an iPad, and maybe you spend 85% of your time on the iPad and the other 15 on the Mac. Um, and it might be that that's the way it is for a long, long time, um, that the iPad is, uh, is not an either-or, but a both-and kind of thing with the Mac. But regardless, we're definitely already today at a place where the iPad can do probably a whole lot of what you would use a computer for. Um, and uh, it's good to see Apple adding additional features that makes iOS 11 more robust to be able to envision a future where it can truly, truly take over uh, and be a replacement for your computer. So anyway, this is just super initial thoughts after spending a very focused week using the new uh, iPad Pro. We'll see how things go over time. As time goes on, I'll report back and see how it's going. And uh, we'll, of course, see how iOS 11 changes the game when it ships. Well, that's it for this week. Um, You can reach out to me on Twitter at JWSherrod. That's S-H-E-R-R-O-D, JWSherrod on Twitter. And honestly, that's how you can find me most places online. If you have any questions that you'd like to see me cover in a future episode of the show, feel free to drop me a line there, and we will see you next time.